Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, visit VintageChurchNola.com. Here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Hey, I'm excited to be here this morning. If I've not met you yet, uh, my name is Matthew Weaver, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited to get to bring the word today. Who's excited to be here? Anybody excited? Awesome. It's going to be a great day. If you have a Bible, um, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 2, okay? Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, the Connect team is coming down right now. They'd love to put one in your hand. Just raise your hand. This is a gift from us to you. Take this Bible home and let God's Word transform your life, okay? Well, I'm excited today. We are in a series. You've got to help me out here, okay? Called what? Can't Stop? Can't Stop? Awesome. Some, some of you guys that are here for the first time, you're like, who are these crazy people? Why are they screaming? It'll make more sense in a little while, okay? But we're in this series called Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And throughout the year, um, throughout the next year and a half, we're going back to the book of Hebrews and, and looking at the book of Hebrews all the way through, all the way through the book. And so uh, the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? And this series we're in, the theme of this series is because Jesus is enough, we can't stop and we won't stop. Sorry, I need to always remember that you want to scream it back. Sometimes I forget. We can't stop and we won't stop, right? And so he gives us the strength to persevere. He gives us the strength to not give up. He gives us the strength to keep going. And so what I want to do this morning is look at chapter 2, and I want to look at verses 5 through 18, Okay. Verses 5 through 18, I'm going to read uh, the entire text up front, and then we'll look into the sermon and our focus this morning. So it's also going to be on the screen as well, okay? Chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 5 in the book of Hebrews. It says this, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than, for a little while, lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and with honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, when putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them Brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook likewise of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all of those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. 
For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We'll stop there. The word of God. That's a lot of scripture. It's a lot of scripture, right? So what I want to encourage you guys to do today, we're just going to scratch the surface, right? I've got 30 minutes. I can't go over today. I got in trouble last time, so I got to keep it short today, okay? So I want to encourage you to go home and to read this text and to study this text in more detail this week. Um, Discuss it in your V groups and make sure you don't miss anything. But the book of Hebrews, guys, we've talked about this every week, right? But it's, it's written kind of like a sermon, like a sermon, right? Whoever wrote it, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was. There's a lot of debate about that, right? Was it Paul? Was it Barnabas? Was it someone else? We do know the audience of Hebrews. They were Jewish Christians. They were Christians that had come out of Judaism, right, following the law. And they were coming out of Judaism, and Jesus has now come, and he's here, and he's come. He's resurrected, and now this audience is struggling to cling to Jesus, and they're going back to their former ways, right? They're going back to Judaism. They're going back to what they once knew, and they're having a hard time embracing this new covenant, that Jesus is now the high priest. And so in in, uh, the first week of our series, Pastor John, um, he kicked it off, and he looked at how Jesus exceeds everything, right? He exceeds the prophets, the angels, and everyone else, right? Jesus exceeds it all. And then last week, Pastor Dustin looked at because Jesus exceeds it all, we should not neglect our faith. We can't neglect our salvation and leave a good thing, right? And today, our focus is on the love of Jesus. Because Jesus loves us so much, we should not neglect him. We should hang in there because the love he has for us is incredible. It's incredible. And so this morning, here's the main idea, okay? We are fully loved by Jesus. We are fully loved by Jesus. Okay, some of you guys hear that and you're like, tell me something new, right? (laughs) Maybe you've been in church for such a long time or you've been at Vintage for such a long time. You've been a believer for a while maybe and you hear this all the time. Jesus loves you. Maybe you're a first-time guest. Maybe you don't know Christ and you're here and maybe this is a new thing for you. Wherever you are this morning, I want you to look at this statement with fresh eyes, that you are fully loved by Jesus. And the love that Jesus has for you lacks nothing. Nothing. It's complete. It's full. It's rich. And it's amazing. And it should give us the strength to keep pushing forward. I want you to feel the weight of this love today, okay? So wherever you are this morning, wherever you walked in, my prayer today is that you would leave and you would feel the weight, that the love that Jesus has for you and you would be changed because of it. So here's the question we're gonna answer today. How can we know that we are fully loved by Jesus? How can we know it? What does the text teach us about the love of Jesus and how can we know it and live it out that we are loved by him? Here's the first thing. I'm gonna give you a few, a few truths from the text. The first thing, is that Jesus came for us in humble power. 
Okay, Jesus came for us in humble power. Look at verses five through eight. The first thing I want you to see about that is Jesus came and he was fully man. When God sent his son Jesus to the earth, right, to be our sacrifice, to be our savior, Jesus was fully man, right? Look at verse seven. Verse seven says, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. We'll stop right there. Like, you need to know that when Jesus came, he came as a human, right? We don't, we're not going to stop there. Don't worry. But we need to remember that. That, yes, he exceeded the angels. He was more powerful than the angels. But his position when he came to the earth was a human, was a man. Like, he did everything that you and I do. He slept, he walked around, he ate food, he did everything. He talked with people like he was a man. He was fully man, and he came as a humble servant and got on our level, right? He can relate to us. He got on our level. And this text references Psalm 8. If you look at the text, there's so many cross-references in this text, okay? Uh, the, the author uh, looks at Psalm 8, right? And here's what one commentary says. I love this. He says, the son came down to earth, taking on the position as a human being that was lower than the angels. But then the author turns to the incarnation. And the psalm begins to move from this statement of humiliation to a state of glorification. And the next thing we see is that Jesus was fully God. He was fully man and fully God, and I can't, let's just be honest, I can't get up here and like tell you exactly what that looked like. I can't wrap my mind around this. Can you guys? We really cannot wrap our mind around Jesus, how good he is and, and what he did for us and the, the way he came for us. It's overwhelming. He was fully man, but at the same time, he was fully God. I want you to look at verses seven and eight, the second part of verse seven and the front end of verse eight. The author says, you have crowned him with Glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Guys, Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. Isn't that good news? He rules and he reigns. Everything in subjection under him. He came as a man, but he was God at the same time, and he was in complete control, and he came for us in humble power. I also want you to see this, that Jesus is patient and he's sovereign. He's patient and he's also sovereign. Look at the second part of verse 8. The text says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And what is that saying? What that means is, guys, sometimes, let's just be honest, the world we live in, it doesn't always look like Jesus is ruling and reigning. Like, this world is chaos. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. The fall of man, the sin, the, the darkness around us. There's just so many things. We could spend hours and hours listing out the problems in our world. But, even through the problems, Jesus rules and reigns and his timing is not our timing his ways are not our ways his ways are higher than our ways right he is god and we're not 
And so when we look at things and we begin to see things through our human eyes, we forget that Jesus is in control, but he is in control. He is in control. He is completely sovereign and he's patient. What I mean by that is he wants more people, guys, to come to know him. Jesus wants your neighbors and your family members and people that you know and people you don't know across the world. He wants people to have a relationship with him. And he is patient. At any moment, Jesus can can come back and make all things right. And he will in his perfect timing. But until that happens, guys, there is work to do. The mission is urgent and Jesus is patient and wanting more people to come to know him. Listen to this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3. I love this. It's powerful. It says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done of it will be exposed. Jesus is is yearning for more people to know him. He desires it. He desires what you and I have with other people. And in his perfect timing, he will make everything right. But until then, he's patient. Does anybody just want to praise God that he's patient with us, right? He's patient not just with salvation, but he's patient with us and our ridiculous sin, right? Our disobedience. He loves us. He's patient and he's sovereign. We must trust his timing. And we just think about it, guys. So many things are out of our control. So many things are out of our control, right? The first thing I think about, I think about just there's so many little funny things too, like uh, can we just say that, that the drivers in New Orleans, like, it's pretty bad? All right, I'm, I'm almost convinced that some, some of the worst drivers in the world live here. Can I get an amen? Those of you that aren't saying amen, it's because you're one of them, right? All right, that's okay. There are some bad drivers here. Like, I'm not just, just talking fast and reckless. I'm talking slow, right? Just don't know when to move, don't know when to get out of the way. I mean, it's terrible. And sometimes uh, we're in traffic, right? And we can do nothing about it, nothing. What are you going to do? You can't do anything. But sometimes, if you've seen that movie, uh, Bruce Almighty, where he's sitting in traffic and he parts the traffic, right? And he flies through the traffic like, like Moses parts the Red Sea. He just makes it happen, right? That's a hilarious scene in that movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it. But we wish we could do that, right? Or maybe, maybe we're at the airport, okay? We're in an airplane. We're trying to get off our plane. One of the worst parts about flying for me is waiting to get off the plane. Like, what are people doing? Guys, grab your bags, let's go, right? But what can I do about that? I'm not going to scream across the plane and say, hey, would you please hurry up? We're all wanting to get off. Especially if I'm in the back of the plane and i got those cheap seats. I mean, it's like an hour sometimes until you get off the flight. I was in West Virginia last weekend um, speaking at a student ministry retreat for a friend. And I had a really interesting experience I wanted to share with you. Um, I was trying to get back home, okay? So I was gone Friday. I was supposed to get back Monday around lunchtime, around lunchtime. I had two flights to get there, two flights to get back. 
So I get up early, early Monday morning, like 5. My flight's at like 7.30, which was not fun. But I also wanted to get home. So it was kind of like a give or take situation, right? I was supposed to get home at 12, at 12, uh, around lunchtime. My flight takes off, West Virginia, 7.30. We're up in the air. What do you guys think I do? The first thing I do is just crash and take a nap, right? I mean, plane rides are great for naps. You put your headphones in, you go to another world, and, uh, you know, maybe you try to have a gospel conversation, right? I got to put that out there. And uh, we need to try that. We need to, we need to be intentional with people. But sometimes we're not in the mood to talk, and they're not in the mood to talk, especially at 7 a.m. So I'm up in the air, and I'm sleeping really, really hard. And uh, I've got music on. And out of nowhere, I hear the pilot, right? And he kind of buzzes in, and he says something like this, like, excuse me, everyone, we have an emergency. Um, there's still ice on the plane. It was cold and rainy. There was still ice on the plane. Oh, we're going to have to land our flight a little bit early. So we were heading to Charlotte, right? North Carolina was our layover. We're going to have to land in Asheville and check out this plane. I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. I will let you know what's going on. So everybody's mad, right? I mean, and that poor flight attendant is getting chewed out. And what can she do about the situation, right? Nothing. But I felt so bad for her. We landed the plane. We got off. We chilled in the airport. And, and they call us up and they say, hey, guys, your plane isn't going to be ready. Your plane's not going to be ready to Charlotte. So uh, we're going to have to figure something out. You can get a new flight. So I got a new flight for later that night. But I had to get to Charlotte, right? I was stuck in Asheville. No planes were leaving Asheville. And so they offered us free minivan rides to Charlotte from Asheville. Okay, there's like six minivans lined up outside and all of us angry people got in the vans. <laughs> I'm sitting in this minivan, it's a two-hour ride, right? And nobody wants to be there. One dude in the back, he's trying to crack jokes, and everybody's just like, dude, just, you know, be quiet. And so, and so there's a lady next to me. She's very mad and coughs a lot, and it was just very not so fun. And so I put my headphones in again, and I think, okay, another two-hour nap. That, that's, that's fine, you know? And I started to hear her talking to the guy up front. There's two guys up front, and they're talking about something, and she begins to, to get into the conversation, and they're talking about how much they don't like Cadillacs. All right? I'm just being honest. They don't like Cadillacs, okay? They don't like those type of cars. Apparently, she has a Cadillac, okay? She's very offended. So she pipes in and says, excuse me, yada, 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 blankety choice words, right? And she gets into it, and they begin to dialogue, and I just, you know, I'm a peacemaker, right, guy? You guys know that. I don't love conflict. I'm going to try to make everybody feel okay. So I take my headphone out, and I just politely say very quietly, ma'am, you know he's just kidding, right? And she didn't care. I don't care if he's kidding. I want to get home filling the blank, right? And I'm just like, ma'am, we all want to get home. All of us want to be home. None of us want to be in this minivan, particularly with you yelling. I didn't say all that, but none of us want to be here. And I just said, we will be there soon, right? And the rest of the car ride was quiet, uh, a little awkward, but whatever. I mean, she stopped. And at the end, I heard her apologize to the guy up front, right? And so I finally got home that night. I share that, that story with you because if, if I'm being honest, I was, I was struggling. I was impatient. I was kind of mad. I wanted to get home. But I had no control over that situation. None. Nothing that I could have done would have helped anything, right? Me yelling at people definitely would not have helped. 
Like that didn't do any good. That's going to make everything more miserable. And so, yes, I had a hard time and yes, I struggled, but I had to make the decision like, what am I going to do about this day? Am I going to just be miserable and woe is me about this entire situation? Or am I going to just stay humble? Because I could do nothing about it. And I learned something after that day. I wasn't super happy that day. But as I was reflecting on the day, I learned something, guys. When we react to situations in life that are out of our control, when we react in humility, I believe that there's power in our humility. There's power in the way we react to things. And Jesus came for us in humble power. When he was humble and took his place, he was also victorious. He didn't mock back. He didn't fight back. He was humble. And because he was humble, there was power in his humility. And when we react to life in humility, knowing our position before God, knowing that we're not God and he is, and we need to set ourselves in place, right? When we do that and we are humble, I believe that God is honored and there's power in that. And it impacts other people. There's power in our humility, even in the situations in life that are so hard. And I don't minimize those hard things like getting out of debt or family members or jobs or all of these things that are weighing us down. We still need to be humble and completely depend on God. Listen to this quote by Craig Rochelle. He says, people would always rather follow a leader who is always real rather than always right. Always real than right. And sometimes we're just not going to be right and we need to be okay with that and be humble. People are drawn to that, guys. That's the gospel. Jesus came for us in humble power. Number two, Jesus died for us because it was necessary. Jesus died for us because it was necessary. Verse 9 and verse 14 and 15, we see that death was defeated forever with his death. Death was defeated forever with the death of Jesus. Look at verse 9, the second part of the verse. The author says, namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14 and 15, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. One common commentary says this, those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death have been liberated. As believers, the fear of death no longer paralyzes and enslaves us because Jesus has disabled death's master. As our champion, he has stormed the very gates of the enemy and he has laid hold his stronghold, opening wide the doors of our captivity and pointing us to the path of freedom. Guys, Jesus died for us because he had to, because we needed him to. Do you understand that? It's a game changer. Because he died for us, everything changed. We now experience freedom. 
We now experience grace and, and mercy and victory. We're not bound to our sin anymore. Those chains have been broken. And Satan has no dominion over your life if you know Jesus. None. Whatever sin you're dealing with, whatever addiction, whatever chain is bogging you down, Satan is not going to win. Jesus will win if you let him win. Victory in and through you. Death was defeated. The grace of God came with a price. It came with a price. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't free. It cost the life of Jesus. And when we take that grace for granted, we're missing it, guys. I think about churches across the world. Some of you have been able to travel the world a little bit, or maybe you've been on a mission trip in another part of the world, and you've seen other people uh, live out their faith in other parts of the world, right? And a lot of the things that I've learned from doing that, you know, in the past is that a lot of people don't take Jesus for granted across the world. They don't take Jesus for granted. They count it a privilege and a joy to just be able to worship. You, know, you guys know that some people don't have the freedom we have here to openly come to church and worship. They have to do it in secret or in private, right? And their lives sometimes are taken because of it. Just the other day on Facebook, I saw this. 22 people at least were killed and more than 100 were wounded when a worship service at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Cathedral in the Philippines was bombed on January 27th. Two bombs went off, one as the worshipers met and the other as they were fleeing. Several soldiers were killed in the second blast. Why do I tell you that? I don't tell you that to depress you and to make you feel bad. I tell you that to remind you that people across the world are suffering and dying for their faith, but they count it a privilege to worship God, and they're willing to do it, whatever that looks like. And we don't experience necessarily those things in our Western culture. We've seen a few things happen, right? this year, but we experience right now at least more of opposition or resistance from people or getting made fun of or being outcasted. And one day, who knows guys, one day we might be in this situation where worshiping Jesus is not so easy. And I don't wish that on us, but I do know that when persecution comes and opposition comes, faith comes, growth comes. Perseverance happens. And whatever we're going through, guys, we've got to cling to the cross of Jesus and not take it for granted. And remember, guys, that he died for you. He died for you. He died for all of you. And what he went through in that death, that carries weight. And because of that, we experience now life in him. And we should not take that for granted. We're about to start a series soon called The Sayings, okay, starting next week. Looking at the seven sayings that Jesus said uh, on the cross leading up to Easter. And so I want to encourage you, maybe if you're kind of struggling with this cross thing or you're struggling to not take this for granted, don't miss out on this next series. Don't miss out on what we're going to teach you about the weight of the cross and what Jesus went through on the cross, don't miss it. Starts next week. And the, and the third thing is this. The last thing is this, is that Jesus brings us into his family. 
He loves us so much, right? He brings us into his family. Verses 10 through 13 and verses 16 and 18 talks about being in the family of God. The first thing I want you to see is that he adopts us. He adopts us. Verse 10 and 11. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He begins to quote Psalm 22 and looks at an example of what it looks like to cry out to God as father. God is our father. He adopts us. We have one source, guys. One source, and we share that source with Jesus, and that is God the Father. God sent his son Jesus for us, and God gives us Jesus, and we are in this family now, and God is now our heavenly Father. And I know we struggle with this. We struggle with this sometimes because the first thing we think of when we think of Father is we think of our earthly fathers, right? Maybe you have not had such a good experience with your earthly father. And because of that experience, you immediately struggle with seeing God as your heavenly father. Or maybe you've had an incredible experience with your father. And maybe you're like, how can it get better, right? I doubt you're completely that way, but maybe you are. Maybe you've got a great family. And whatever your situation is, good or not so good, you need to know that God being our father exceeds 120, 30, 40, a million percent our earthly fathers. He exceeds it. He sees the big picture. He knows everything. We are his children. And you are adopted into his family. And he will never let you down. You might not always understand his ways, but you must trust his ways and know that His ways are greater than your ways, and I promise you, if you do that, he will not let you down, and he knows what's best for you. Your heavenly Father. We are adopted into glory. When I think about adoption, like I know some people that have adopted children, and I always hear from them. When they adopt a child, right, it's the same as them giving birth to a child. They love that child just the same, just the same. It's not different. Of course, the process is different. But that child is now literally a part of their family through and through. Adoption. We're in God's family. It's unconditional love. You know, not too long ago, guys, I had the privilege, myself and another one of our uh, leaders in our women's ministry had the privilege of leading someone to the Lord. And it was amazing. And the reason it was amazing, it's always amazing when someone comes to know Jesus, right? I mean, it's always amazing, especially when you get to be a part of that story. But this lady that came to know Jesus grew up in a Buddhist home. And what she has been taught her entire life is that God loves you based on what you do. Conditional love. Conditional love. If I do this and this and this and this and this, then God will love me. Then God will bless me. Then God will reward me. But she came to a point where she can no longer do that. 
Because guys, we can't live like that because we're human beings. And she realized that conditional love is not where it's at. Unconditional love is where it's at. And God gives us unconditional love through his son, Jesus, that whatever you do, whatever you've done, whatever your past looks like, you can start brand new with him. And you can enter his family. I love that. Adoption. He loves us. And the second thing is that he relates to us. Jesus not only adopts us, we're in his family, he also relates to us. Look at verses 17 and 18. The author says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is now our great high priest. And some of you might be thinking, how can Jesus relate to what I'm going through? There's a lot of years that separate us from the life of Jesus, right? But here's what I want you to really think about. What did Jesus have to go through to get to that cross? And we can't even, I mean, you watch movies like The Passion of the Christ. I mean, these, these are movies, like, we, we don't even know. We weren't there. We read about it, but we know that Jesus went through persecution, opposition. He was beat. He was spit on. He was mocked. He, was, he had people betray him and leave him and say, no longer am I going to follow you. And he had to watch them leave him. He experienced death. He experienced isolation. God was with him, but for a moment, he was by himself in that death. He went through that moment for us. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be on your own. He knows what it's like to be made fun of. And he's with you today through his spirit. And he he can relate to you. He meets you where you are, guys. He's our great high priest. And because of being in God's family, guys, there's implications to that. Like any family you're in, right? Everybody has to carry their weight. Can I get an amen from some parents maybe? Yeah, I know. Um, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to like put my chores off and say, I'll do it tomorrow. And look, now I'm not going to do that when we have kids one day because I know what it's like, right? But, but look, we, we all have responsibilities in our families. In the family of God, you've been bought with a price. You have a responsibility now to be a good steward of that, to be faithful and to be obedient and to carry out the mission that God has for you through his local church. Guys, the local church is God's plan A to reach the world. doesn't mean that other things aren't great and don't have their purpose, but God created the local church to reach people, to be a part of a body, because we can do more together than on our own. And so I want to encourage you, stay faithful, stay consistent, plug into the life of the church. So we, we, we were cared together, guys. We, when we gather together, we are cared for, and then we must go and serve others. I think about my own V group, right? If you're in a V group, I'm sure you've experienced situations where you were served by someone, you were cared for, you were the hands and feet of Jesus to that person. That's what community is for. And we have our vintage pathway, right? It's going to be on the screen, I think. I want you to look at it. 
We talk about gathering, right? Then we talk about connecting. And then we talk about partnering and then leading and then being sent out. We do the pathway like this because this is how the church should work. We care for each other because what Jesus has done, and then we go and care for others and serve others. And it's a cycle. We're in the family of God. Jesus brings us into his family. So now what? Maybe you need to take a deep breath. That was a lot. I need to take a deep breath. I'm tired. Okay? So now what? We know that Jesus loves us. I hope you you feel the weight of that. But what do you do about it? What's your next step? Let me give you three next steps. Write these down. Because we are fully loved by Jesus, number one, in humility, completely depend on him. In humility, completely depend on him. Remember, Jesus came for us in humble power. And guys, we need to completely depend on God. We have so much at our fingertips that We neglect that. What if we would be desperate for God's presence and humble ourselves before him and recognize that we are nothing apart from him and we need him? Do you need God? Yes, but do you you live like you need God, myself included? What are you doing in your life to remind yourself that you need God? What are you getting rid of so that you're not depending on other things and you're depending on God? We can say we need God, and I believe that some of us do live like that, but we need to constantly remember who we are before God. Humble ourselves, depend on him. Number two, in thankfulness, do not take the grace of God for granted. Man, don't take it for granted. Remember, he died for us. Because it was necessary. It was necessary, guys. Be thankful. Man, I love that verse. I think it's Thessalonians. It says, in everything you do, give thanks in all circumstances, right? This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness is not something we need to pinch ourselves to remind. Like, we need to always be thankful. Not just on Thanksgiving, right? Not just around the table or holidays, There is always something to be thankful for as a Christian. Always. Always. Because Jesus is always faithful. And the last thing. In confidence. Live as children of God. Adopted into his family forever. In confidence, live as children of God adopted into his family forever. Remember, guys, he brings us into his family. And because that we are in his family, some of you really need to hear this, you are struggling with your identity. You are putting your identity in anything but Jesus. And I've been there, done that too. We all struggle with that to an extent. But when you try to define yourself by anything other than God and what he's done for you first, you're going to fall short and disappointed and you're going to be drained and empty and exhausted. 
But when you go back to the well that never runs dry and you live as a confident child of God, that he has plans for you. He loves you. He wants to use you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's got you. Live in that in confidence. You're in his family forever. You are fully loved by Jesus, guys. You're fully loved by him. doesn't matter who you are. You're fully loved by him. Because you're loved by him, we can't stop. We won't stop, right? Kind of knew that would happen. But really, because we're fully loved by Jesus, we can't stop and we won't stop. This gives us everything and more that we need to keep going. To keep going. Jesus loves you.